0: Good Friday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and welcome to Real Talk with Keith Smith. Thank you kindly for joining us. A pleasure to connect with you through the I Love Seville Network on a show today presented by Keller Williams Alliance, our friend Quentin Beckham and that team at KWA, absolutely a team you can trust and count on. Keith Smith, I believe, is he back next week, Judah, from his anniversary? I think he might be back next week. We miss him, but he's having fun in the sun. I think maybe we'll see him next week. Wednesday, Maybe next Wednesday, Judah Wickera says. Thank you very much. That is the beloved voice of J-Dubs, as he's known up and down the eastern seaboard. Another beloved voice you're about to hear is Neil Williamson, friend of the program, fantastic guy, pop culture, aficionado, and a guy who follows news as closely as I do, probably closer. And because of that, I love chatting with him. Let's welcome him, welcome him to the program. My friend, how are you? I am well. It's great to see you.
1: It's good to be seen, and it's great to be here in the heart of Charlottesville for uh, to fill in for Keith. Well, uh, I know he's enjoying his time. I'm sure he misses being in the heart of Charlottesville.
0: His anniversary, he's in the islands. He, he'll be back, but Neil is here, so the show is going to be dynamic. My friend, I was all over your website, um, like I am all the time. The headline is Healthy 2023 Q1 Retail Report by the Presidente, Neil Williamson of the Free Enterprise Forum, where would you like to begin?
1: Well, I think it's important to start with what this is. And the retail report is something we put out on a quarterly basis. Um, we track uh, retail sales tax option, the 1% real, real ta- retail sales tax option. The thing that's helpful about that is that it is a great harbinger of what has happened. Because what happens is retailers actually collect this tax. They send it to the state. And the state sends back 1% to the locality. When they make that transfer, it's recorded and that's a public action. And so we've been, we have the results of this back, probably to 93, uh, by locality. And it is it shows trends, it shows how we've changed. Um, back about four years ago, internet sales started being a part of it with the Wayfair decision. Um, so if you have a package shipped from an internet retailer, to Charlottesville, Charlottesville receives that sales tax. And they have to keep track, the retailer platform keeps track of the sales tax rate in all the localities across the United States and disperses that. So the downside to it is it is always a look backward. So we are talking about this. I went and looked last year, we issued this report on May 23rd. This year was issued on May 30. So we are looking back for the first three months of the year, but it's still telling, especially when you dig into the raw data. The bottom line is it is a healthy report. I think it's a little bit over 5% growth year over year, but there are a little bit of some eddies in there that that are somewhat concerning.
0: Um, we talked about this briefly um, earlier in the week on the I Love Seaville show. Now we have the Oracle on the program to break it down. The concerning data was January, Charlottesville City. Show is yours on that topic.
1: Sure. Well, in, again, we, we take the data by month and aggregate it because a monthly, you have a big ebb and flow. So sure. we do it sure. on a quarterly basis. But if you look at just January, 20, uh, Q1, just January 2023 compared to January 2022, Charlottesville generated $40,000 less sales tax, retail sales tax, in the month of January. Well, if that's 1%, you do the math, and you know that's a lot of retail activity that didn't happen in the month of January. So your mind goes, okay, must have been a snowstorm. But wait a minute, did the snowstorm hit Charlottesville and none of the other surrounding localities? Oh, wait a minute, that, that isn't it. Well, maybe this because the students are out. Were the students out the previous year? Yes. So you start to look around, and there's no science to this. This is the art part of the analysis. Sure. What was going on in Charlottesville in January that might have uh, depressed mm. retail
0: sales? Uh, two words, gun violence, Neil Williamson.
1: Uh, there was quite a bit of that, wasn't there? That was really early and mid to late January. Um, I, I would suggest that if you look at all the activities,
0: um, that probably had an influence. That undoubtedly had an influence in our household. When that was going on in early Q1, my wife repeatedly would say, we are not going, we are not going, we are not going. She has since changed and feels very safer now coming downtown. But in January, during all that brouhaha, she was one that said, we're not going there. And she was also very concerned when I was coming down here. We're talking about the Free Enterprise Forum Q1 retail report. Charlottesville, of all the localities, what's the word you would say? Lagged or struggled? Uh, what's the what's the word you would say?
1: I would say all localities showed positive growth. Okay. In retail sales.
0: Okay. Charlottesville, Charlottesville
1: showed the least growth.
0: Okay, there we go. Charlottesville showed the least growth. Now the positive of this, and this is a testament to Michael Cotches and the Charlottesville Police Department, from January to February to March. Look at Neil's data. It showed improvement. And Cotches, much like Michael Rogers, much like Lloyd Snook, started stabilizing that ship, the Charlottesville Police Department. January, he gets hired. February, March, he starts doing the walk and talks. And a lot of the crime that was happening, he finds the the culprits. And he puts them behind, he arrests them. So maybe we, we, we give some props to the CPD for this.
1: I, I think you, you would. Um, I also think that there's a... Um a tenor in a community and there's a repetitiveness when you see someone getting shot leaving a bar on the downtown mall um, and people are kind of like well that was the next step I guess we're going to keep escalating and then you have a de-escalation I don't wish this on the CPD but there's going to be other gun violence it will happen it's how it's managed it's how the community responds and I believe that the, uh, the, the, by making a commitment to a police chief and that police chief coming through with significant community policing ideas creates an environment where the community says, you know what, we're not going to stand for that. That is not the next step. This is an aberration, and we're going to
0: call it as such. Very well said. Bill McChesney on McIntyre, the mayor McIntyre. Neil, do the details get into types of retail, grocers, groceries versus clothing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Unfortunately, Bill, they do not. They do not break down the sectors. Um, we have it broken down by locality only. Uh, we'd have to look to really the, the jobs report that we used to compile that had the um, – the ENI sectors, um, and that is a really a much more lagging indicator. It lags by about two years, and so it's, uh, I don't have a breakdown by sector. I will say that the numbers statewide from the jobs report that I saw yesterday indicated um, uh, retail and leisure jobs were up. In addition, interestingly, mining was up in this commonwealth, which is unusual.
0: Um, more questions have come into the program, guys. And if you'd like to offer Neil Williamson a question, put them in the feed. I'll relay them live on air. Um, this is from Grayson in North Downtown. How does Mr. Williamson characterize the health of the city in its current state of Q2?
1: Well, I, Again, that's a bit of projection because we only have the numbers for Q1. Um, I, Based upon anecdotal information from shop owners, uh, they tend to be positive. Um, People have asked, well, what does Q1 forecast for the rest? Well, it doesn't forecast anything. It says what happened. Um, That being said, I I believe that we're seeing an increase in vitality that we almost see every spring. You bring Fridays after 5, you bring more people downtown. I know the students leave, and that has an impact. But I know folks that literally look forward to the students leaving, not because they don't like them, but because it's a different vibe downtown.
0: Yeah, it is a different vibe. Um, Put your comments in the feed. We'll get to the economic report put out by the city as well. Those are asking about that. When you're putting this data together, um, are there red flags you look for um, when you're putting this data together and you're looking at the outer counties like say Green, Louisa, Waynesboro, Augusta. What are some of the uh, KPIs that you're following?
1: Well, one of the things that we look at and there's a link in the story on the freeenterpriseforum.wordpress.com that, okay, well, that's Q1 this year. What was Q1 last year? So we talked about Charlottesville being the big laggard as you called it, but really the, the least improving. Um, last year they were number two. For improvement over the year before. We also have that blip, that COVID blip that we have to kind of take into account what we're measuring against. So um, I always try and look at where are the, and what patterns do I see? Um, interestingly, when you look at gross dollars, um, the increase year to date in gross dollars, Albemarle's increase in just the first quarter of this year in retail, Sales tax revenue is three hundred and thirty eight thousand dollars. And that includes a deficit of almost thirty thousand dollars in March. So, you know, Albemarle has a much bigger retail pool. One of the things about our region is our region is I, I don't know that a lot of people that know where exactly the city line is. I don't is. think they do. Uh, yeah. I don't even think. Uh, I, I think the localities confuse it because think, where is the county office building?
0: It's in downtown Charlottesville. And this could be a perfect segue into the, the report that's in front of you. It, it could be now, couldn't it? <laughs> but, I'll, I'll follow your lead on that.
1: But they don't know where the line is for when you're in Charlottesville versus Albemarle. So if you're at Stonefield, are you in Charlottesville or Albemarle? Stonefield's Albemarle. Okay. Yeah. I'm across the street at the gas station.
0: Ah, uh, that might be City. I think oh. the city is, the, is oh. the, Kmart, the Kmart city, isn't it? It is. Yeah, but Stonefield's Albemarle. That's and, correct. And the reason I know the Kmart city is because Corin's team is doing development, and it was council that was talking about what was going on there instead of the supervisors. And the reason I knew Stonefield was Albemarle because it went to the supervisors for Stonefield development. That's the only reason I knew that.
1: And originally, it was called
0: Albemarle Square. It was orig- originally, no, uh, was it Albemarle Square? Stonefield was? Okay, there you go. Neil Williamson. Um, I I, I 100% agree with your saying. I don't think people know. I don't think the leaders know. Um, So to to close that loop, three of the four corners of the hydraulic
1: US-29 intersection are in the city. Stonefield is in the county.
0: There you go. I love that. I love that. Um, This question has come in um, for Neil Williamson. Can he explain the internet sales and how it's tracked a little bit further? Leslie, thank you for the question. I'm also a bit confused on that as well.
1: Sure. Sure. So um, I want to say it was four years ago. It may have just been three. The Wayfair decision uh, came down. Wayfair said we should not, ha- there was a locality that said you need to be paying a sales tax. Wayfair said, no, we don't. We're, we don't have a bricks and mortar presence in your bed, so we shouldn't be paying you sales tax because we're not any. we're not taxing, we're not creating any services demand, so we shouldn't pay sales tax. Mm-hmm. They lost at the Supreme Court. After that, Um, all of the internet retailers had to develop programs to collect sales tax in the localities where their packages were being delivered. So if I have something delivered to my office, which I often do, uh, Albemarle actually receives the sales tax, despite me having a Charlottesville address. Albemarle receives the sales tax rather than Greene County where the residence is. It's where it's delivered. And it is tracked. Uh, it is tracked by the retailer, the end retailer. So, if you are a um, let's put some, if you're a small retailer doing internet sales, you may limit your footprint because you don't have the programming. But now, shop Shopify and yeah, all of those folks built in. build that in yeah. to your your platform. So, how it's tracked is via it's it, They make certain that it's being charged. And remember. Sales tax is not collected by the locality. Sales tax is collected by
0: the retailer and remitted to their localities. I love it. Um, Questions coming in, guys. I promise we'll get to the newspaper talk here with Neil Williamson. He's a newspaper lover as well as I am. We're going to get to the economic report. Well, that's a segue. Why don't we segue into the report you have in front from Charlottesville City um, and give us the who, what, when, where, why of the report to start.
1: Sure. um, Back, I guess it was mid-May, um, Charlottesville received a draft economic development strategic plan. Okay. Um, those who have tuned in to watch the uh, Free Enterprise Forum uh, Council debate with Sean Tubbs, um, we had one of, one of the questions was about the strategic plan. And um, one of the candidates made a point to say, that's a lot more important than most people realize. Um, that candidate promoted this on Twitter over the last 24 hours. Um, We're talking Michael Payne. Michael Payne. Yeah. And he had several critiques of it. I, of course, being me, said, wait a minute, I haven't read that yet. So I pulled it up and I read it. And I was struck. This report was put forth by a consultant with consultation from the economic development team. Um, At least five times in the report, it talks about um, destinations, Charlottesville destinations that should be maximized, including wineries. Jerry, how many wineries are in Charlottesville? I don't think we have any. No wineries at all. Um, they do mention cideries and breweries <laughs> as well, and there are breweries, et cetera. But it mentions specifically the Monticello Wine Trail, which is located Alamo in... Albemarle
0: County. Oh, Albemarle N- County. N- Nelson. Nelson, yeah. Green.
1: I think Fluvanna has one uh, in there. The um, Those are not assets for... This economic development report. Now, you can talk about such things as regional
0: assets. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Go ahead. I I think they are
1: regional assets. They are regional assets. But if you're talking about building upon regional assets, use the word regional. Um, I wouldn't put a pick. They talk about uh, another thing that is an asset is the UNESCO sites that are in Charlottesville. How many UNESCO sites are in Charlottesville? I don't think there's any, Neil. There's one. Oh, there is? The University of Virginia is a UNESCO site. Oh, oh, okay. okay. But Monticello is also a UNESCO site. Okay. Um, Monticello is not located in the city of Charlottesville. No? Um, So I think this hurts a little bit. and And then I get into, okay, Neil, you're really deep in the weeds. And then I get to like page 15 of this report, and there's a picture of a woman walking in a vineyard, and I just had to scream,
0: that's not Charlottesville! Well, okay, so why? Is it a mistake, or is it positioning that if we utilize wineries, vineyards, and breweries as a marketing tool, we can get tourists to come, stay in the city, in the hotels. Yes, they will take transportation to the counties to spend some money there, but they are staying in the city in our hotels, shopping at our shops, and eating at our restaurants.
1: Yep. That is absolutely true. And one would think that um, the Economic Development Office would have had some editing to indicate that we need to be leveraging our regional assets. Yeah. The Blue Ridge Mountains, sure. which, by the way, aren't located in Charlottesville either. No. But a lot of people come here and hike in the Blue Ridge Mountains and come back, and then they like to have dinner on the downtown mall.
0: Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's
1: a great tourism get. This talks about a lot of um, promotional stuff for. Promoting those assets. Where is the uh, CACVB in this? It's not mentioned. Now, I understand this is a draft-first report. There's much more work to be done. But it just seemed, it felt very consultanty Because it's like they Googled Charlottesville and they found this stuff and moved forward. And it doesn't feel like, they might have, it doesn't feel like the they economic live here. They know what's going on. office yeah. really had... A lot of say in the report.
0: I want to ask you about the CACVB. What is that? The Charlottesville-Almaro Convention Visitors Bureau. Correct. The CACVB is the branding and marketing arm for Charlottesville and Almaro County. Um, There are a, a handful of elected officials on this board, as well as stakeholders that do this professionally for a living. Charlottesville's Economic Development Office, not mentioning the CACVB in the report, the initial report. Is that a sign that it wants to potentially distance itself from the CACVB and get a little bit more autonomy with its branding and marketing efforts, or do you see it as an oversight?
1: I, I don't know. Okay. You're asking to project on what the intentions of someone were, and I yeah. don't think I can, I can do that on a, on a basis. I do believe it's important to recognize the CACVB is funded not from tax dollars, not from your sale, your property tax dollars. But from a portion of the tourism and occupancy tax, the TOT that is collected uh, by state code, three cents—I think it's three cents or five cents—of that tax must go directly back to tourism promotion, including the funding of the CACBB.
0: Kevin, that's a great point. In Waynesboro, he says, "How can a city and a county full with full of multimillionaires?" not maintain a 4th of July fireworks celebration, but they have boatloads of money for consultants and projects everywhere. It's, it's kind of demoralizing we're not having a 4th of July celebration in the area. I don't even think that the private stakeholders are going to rise to the occasion this particular 4th of July. That's a topic for a different day. I want to dig into uh, the report even further, or this economic development that we're talking about here. You know, I I say on this program all the time that we need to prioritize driving people to the city, to Midtown, to the downtown mall. And I've mentioned the Dora, I've mentioned concerts. There was a report last week about the economic impact of uh, the Ting Pavilion. um, And it was significant here. I would love to see in this economic development report. Sure, we need to leverage regional assets, but I would love to see the spotlight maybe on like a venue-like Ting, saying we need to drive more engagement there. Look at this data for the return on investment we've got last year.
1: Well, to be fair, um, and again, I read this this morning and read it once, so that's always a challenge for a small brain like mine. But it does does mention point-blank, cultural and concerts specifically called out at least three times. Good. And, and I think that's important. I'm, I'm not going to say this is a terrible uh, report. I'm just calling out those things that I think need to be revised, and that's why it's a draft. What would you make of
0: Payne's Twitter thread on this? Michael um, Payne, candidate.
1: Well, I, I would defer to you to quote it accurately. Okay. Because I, 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 I have probably uh, internal bias. And I would rather not misquote Mr. Payne.
0: Uh, Michael Payne is a candidate. He is a one-term counselor. He's currently a counselor. He's running for re-election. He's got a, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tweet thread that he posted within the last 24 hours about this report. He's specifically talking about trickle-down strategies of economic development that do not work. He says, this is especially a problem in a city like Charlottesville, with huge wealth and income gaps driven by UVA as our largest employer. Michael Payne says, a successful plan would explicitly include strategies for community wealth building, how do we plan for community land trusts, I love those, co-ops, community development, corporations, apprenticeship programs, and he specifically talks about the wealth gap. We know black households in the city, 39000 their income, black households, Michael Payne says. 86,000 for white families in the city with their households. He says, how can we measure success or failure if you don't include the most vital economic challenges for facing our community in your metrics, which is the disparity in income and in households? That's it right there.
1: I, I, I understand Michael's point, and I agree with many of his solutions, but not all of them. But it is, a, uh, it is also important to call out, and the report touches on it. It doesn't dig in deep, but it is a first draft, and it is a 30,000-foot report um, about worker training. Uh, I happen to be um, perusing the PVCC site, the Piedmont Virginia Community College, and they have a plethora of certificates available today that are pretty much cost-free and can bring you up to what you need to have to have a very good job. I was discussing this with a young man from Charlottesville. Um, I guess it was two weeks ago, and he's doing their CDL training. And he was in a job that he wasn't happy in, and he said, yeah, as soon as I finish this, I've got four job offers waiting for me. I am out of here. And I'm like, that's the way to do it. You go, you get the training you need, and you take the step up.
0: Uh, Jason Howard on Rio Road loves what he's hearing. For Neil Williamson, there have been multiple articles in the last week about retailers seeing a shift from luxury item spending to necessities. With student loan payments resuming in late August, how do you see this affecting retail sales by category and retail sales growth overall? Six comments I have to get here. Uh, What do you think of Jason's comment first? Uh,
1: First off, I think Jason's spot on. And one of the things that if you read the uh, blog post – it shares that I shared that retailers shared with us their concern about core inflation, those items that you have to spend money on. Those, those are the things that are not luxury items. So you may see uh, a, down, a downturn in some of the luxury items. Um, the other thing that I, I believe is that even though the um, education spending, the loans are coming back to uh, payments. Bob yeah.
0: Good introduced that legislation. Yeah, well, you've had
1: 36 months that. It's, it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been I mean, a long time. People are like, I still have $200,000 in student loan. What up with that? Um, <laughs> but the idea what about the idea of that impacts in, in Charlottesville is less than in some other communities. Well, why do you mean, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, while we're a well-educated community, we tend to be insulated because of the university and the defense sectors that don't really have the ebbs and flows that you see in some of the other... I mean, you look at Peoria, and you've got Caterpillar in Peoria, Illinois. Caterpillar gets a hiccup, Peoria has a cold. I mean, it is a huge deal when you're a one-trick pony. Here, we have these much longer-standing, strong, individual uh, sectors that buffer us. So the highs aren't as high, but the lows aren't as low either,
0: Reed Jamieson Paul is leaving a comment. Reed, where are you watching today? I think your comment is brilliant. He says the entire country needs to encourage the trades. The need is increasing and the pay is increasing. Um, let us know where you're watching, Reed. I completely agree with what you said. John Blair watching the program. He says, Neil Williamson is on absolute fire right now. If you all want a spectacular 4th of July experience, please come to Stanton for our Happy Birthday America celebration. It's all day at Gypsy Hill Park and concludes with a Wilson Fairchild concert and a massive fireworks show. That sounds awesome, John.
1: John Blair, always be closing.
0: I know, John Blair. I wish, John. I sincerely mean this, and I know you are so happy in Stanton. He's the acting city manager, right? Uh, I think he's the acting. I yes, say, uh, is he the he's acting? The, he's the attorney, but are you the acting city manager now, John? As maybe you the find,
1: acting deputy manager. I, I don't remember. John changes titles pretty regularly. Um,
0: I sincerely mean this, John. I know you love Stan, and you're doing amazing things there, but you are missed in Charlottesville, and I sincerely wish you were here still in Charlottesville. Reed says he's in Vermont making $150,000 a year right now as a carpenter.
1: Um, it, um, Vermont. Did you hear that? Vermont. Yeah. Lovely, uh, lovely place. I will, I will say that anyone who has worked with getting someone from the trades out, you know how busy they are, And the average age is going up.
0: Uh, Word on the street is you may be working with some trades right now. Are you, Neil Williamson? You want to give us a glimpse? Uh, I No. (laughs) He's moving to a new house. So he may or may not have to deal with uh, some trades from time to time. So much is coming in right now, as it always does with Neil Williamson here. Anything else you want to talk about on economic uh, vitality or that report? Because I got three comments on the $1.2 billion defense sector report that are coming in.
1: Well, only only thing I'll add is um, I, earlier, or middle of the month last month, I learned that uh, Roger Johnson's no longer with Albemarle County, and that was a really? surpri- that was a surprise to me.
0: The guy, Roger Johnson, of the Economic Development Office.
1: J.T. Newberry is the ec- acting Economic Development. Uh, a leader in Albemarle County.
0: Roger Johnson was a tremendous asset to Albemarle. I remember chatting with him. Didn't you host the party at Three Notch? Yes. And I had like 20-minute 20, 20 conversation with him. He's class act, A-plus guy, fantastic civil servant, undoubtedly um, an asset to Albemarle. So where is he headed? Do we, can we offer... Do we know anything? I know nothing. Okay, damn. That's news right there. I'm literally kind of taken aback by that. So it's now whom? J.T. Newberry, who...
1: Um, Although he did call a foul on my son when my son was in the lane. I thought it was a clean hit. Um, But uh, he used to referee high school basketball. Um, He he came out of uh, the zoning and planning department and has been with economic development for, I want to say, five, seven years. He, um, he has moved up to the economic develop, acting economic development director, and I anticipate there will be a search for a new economic development
0: director. That right there, has that been reported anywhere?
1: Not that I've seen.
0: Oh, my goodness. See, that's, that's news right there that Williamson just got out to the community. Roger Johnson, man, if you're watching or hearing or, or word gets back to him, and I want to speak for Neil, but I think I can for, here, for him here. we got nothing but love and respect for you, dude. Nothing but love and respect. Um, Jason shares the link to the program you're talking about. The state of Virginia will help pay for a plethora of certifications. Great program. He shares the link. Um, gosh, this is, you're on fire right now. Um, $1.2 billion defense sector. I'm going to open ended. I've been eager to pick your brain about this. This report, commissioned by, let me get my memory, um, Chamber of Commerce, Albemarle County, in Charlottesville City. It costs 20 grand. It was done by the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia. It was presented to both the supervisors and council. And boy, did that presentation make some moves, Neil Williamson. Um,
1: based on the way I understand government okay. works, okay. that presentation um, did not generate moves.
0: Oh, okay. There we go. Um, I would
1: love to hear this. In 2017, I want to say... Okay when Rivana Station was expanding, there was discussion of uh, the Defense Department's desire to have control of surrounding lands. As I remember, uh, it was in a meeting, and Ann Malick raised it. Supervisor Ann Malick raised that concern um, that the, that the uh, station was landlocked. So that is many years ago. Um, the chamber and the local governments over the last year and a half, two years, have funded the um, a, a defense affairs person on chamber staff to um, focus attention on the import of the defense and intelligence agencies.
0: She was the one who gave the report. Was her name Letty? She Letty started, Bean. Le, yeah. Let,
1: retired that. Colonel Letty Bean. Right. Uh, Sharp. She uh, gradu- went uh, to UVA for a graduate degree, and I worked with her on her uh, she actually had a graduate degree that focused on local government, and she produced a thesis that was quite good um, that I was um, surprised to be interviewed for, but I was it is a, um, I, I thought the report solidified a lot of things that and quantified a lot of things that a lot of supervisors already knew
0: okay okay, put it like what the impact
1: besides that the the impact the number of people being employed. Um, if you attended, and I know you didn't because at the time they weren't Zoomed, Economic Development Authority meetings. Okay, I was the only one there. Um, the, A lot of times. Yeah, there's that. Um, I'm popular. Uh, the, the Economic Development Authority has long recognized the import. The other thing that hasn't been as widely reported is Almar didn't just buy this land. There's going to be a public hearing. There's still a whole process to go through. It's an
0: agreement in principle, right? Right.
1: And it it will, in my estimation, because of the unanimity of the support, it will go through. But it's important for policy wonks like me to say there will be a public hearing and the public will have the opportunity to say, hey, I think this is not a good use or I think this is a fantastic use of of funds.
0: Um, So... Paul McCarter, watching the program, he said he worked at Rivana Station 10 years ago and this was discussed about a decade ago. Here's, here's what I found interesting about the report from Letty. She straight up said that there's a, there's a city in the Midwest, it was St. Louis, mm-hmm. that is offering 100 free acres um, as a carrot, dangling 100 free acres to get this station to St. Louis. Was that strategic? Um. Was that strategic of her to emphasize that?
1: I don't believe in coincidences.
0: Right. That's what I'm saying.
1: I'm Leroy Leroy Gibbs from NCS. I don't believe in coincidences.
0: Okay. Okay. So go down down that road. Good
1: looking as Mark Harmon.
0: Go go down that road there. I don't believe in coincidences either. Did you know
1: he's married to uh, Pam Dauber of Mork & Mindy?
0: I did not know that. I did did not know know that? that. I did not know that. Pop culture. This guy knows a lot of things. You don't believe in coincidences. Go down that road.
1: I, I believe, Neither do I. Yeah, well, these types of things have to be prepared. There has to be staff reports and all of that, and reviewed through legal and the rest. So usually, if something appears on the agenda, especially if it's on the agenda of a special meeting, um, then it would be, and it was, there was a mention of, in clo- that there would be a closed session with a discussion of acquisition of property in the Ravana district, and that was three weeks before four weeks before the special meeting so and that was two weeks before the presentation so those that knew knew that this was kind of percolating and um, I don't know if perhaps Colonel Bean was coached or if it was a happenstance but this as um, you just had uh, Paul McCartner say was discussed over a decade ago and you know I happen to go up and down 29 pretty regularly. There was a big sign for the last decade that says this land's available. Call United. Yeah, United Land Land Company. Company. Yeah. So I, I think that it was a secret that was out in the open. And was it strategic? I don't know. But
0: was it true? I firmly believe it was. I, I think it was 100% true, but I think she was very strategic in making sure that was emphasized to everybody.
1: Right. and In a public meeting. In
0: a public meeting on the record.
1: On the record. Yeah. With two members of the public in the audience, right. meaning the distinguished gentleman.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She, she did that strategically. Okay. 462 acres, $58 million, a principal and agreement. It has not happened yet. The seller of Next Generation LLC, let's just call that Wendell Wood. Let's talk about how crafty Wendell is. Wendell buys this a long, 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 long time ago. He bought, I think it was 901 acres. He's legitimately taking 462 of that 901, basically what's left, and he's selling it in principle for 58 million bucks. I think he bought it, if memory serves correct, for like five or nine million in the 90s here. What do you make of Wendell Wood?
1: the free enterprise form doesn't take positions on projects. This would be a project. But I would encourage folks who are really interested in this, go back in time. Take a look at when NGIC moved out to that, that area. Uh, United Land came forward to the county needing some zoning changes. I would examine how all that came about and a little bit of the foot dragging that occurred at that time that and, and the discussions that occurred at that time to understand the change in dynamics in Albemarle County in that 10, 20 year time span.
0: We're talking Project Falcons, the Rivana Station defense sector's impact here in Central Virginia. Um, help me break down what you just said right there. <laughs> okay, because what you just said, I, I think I understand what you just said, but I don't want to leave it to interpretation. Can you give me a little more clarity there?
1: Um, it is important to recognize okay. the need to understand what has happened. If you, um, if you read Peter Pan, the first line is, all of this has happened before. Okay. That's the first line in the novel Peter Pan. Examine what it took to have the land that is now Rivanna Station rezoned to allow that activity to occur prior to being acquired by the defense department because the defense department doesn't care about local zoning yeah but in order to show good faith that it could be done the applicant had to come forward and have the rezoning to allow certain things to occur so i would go back and look at that and and while you're at it check out charlottesville tomorrow and check out the time brian wheeler tried to take pictures at ngic and got arrested Well, he didn't get arrested. He got detained.
0: (laughs) Brian Wheeler, we love you. Um, One time the comms director here for Charlottesville City, the founder, I believe, of Charlottesville Tomorrow, the executive director of one time. He has since moved away from Charlottesville. Um, He was living in Western Albemarle for a long time. Brian Wheeler, your name still resonates on the I Love Seville Network. I'll ask you the question here. Wendell Wood, is this guy in 2023... Going to do a $58 million deal with Almaro. And we just heard at the Democratic Forum for City Council. Every single one of those candidates in the forum said, we need to buy the, line, the land from Wendell on High Street. We can't allow those apartments from ha- to happen in a floodplain. So are we going to see in 2023 Wendell Wood do roughly $100 million, maybe $75 million in business with two jurisdictions? Time will tell. Time will tell. This guy is a, this guy is a smart negotiator.
1: He and his family have been here a long time, yeah, and they have done a lot of work and actually deserve a fair amount of credit or blame for what Charlottesville and Albemarle look like today. Um, I think that it, absent, um, absent developers, you would not have development.
0: Yeah, 100%. Fashion Square Mall, um, Wendell Wood, um, Barracks Road. Uh, Wendell Wood, this guy's been instrumental in many of the projects we call um, that have helped carry Charlottesville and Central Virginia for a period of time. Um, Pam Dauber appeared on NCIS before Mark Harmon left, appearing on the show.
1: Right, and uh, that was, that, that's accurate. She appeared for three episodes or something, but uh, I was fascinated. I didn't realize that, that he was married to Pam Dauber because I'm old enough to remember Mork and
0: Mindy, and it was fun. Um, John, That's Robin
1: Williams and Pam Dauber for those of you that aren't old.
0: John Blair says, JM, you and Neil are too kind, but I really can't stress how correct both of you are about trades education. Any realistic economic development strategy for Charlottesville and Al should focus heavily on the trades education. Thoughts on Blair's comment?
1: Uh, I, I, I don't think we can we can stress Emphasize it enough. enough. Right. But that being said, I, I also think that um, that does also speaks to the ideas that are going forward with the community kitchen—that I've heard on this program previously—positive p- and negative comments about that because
0: I wasn't very, very huge fan of the community kitchen.
1: I am familiar with that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, my concern with the community kitchen was taking away labor from existing restaurants and using uh, food and beverage tax revenue to essentially create competition for those that are creating the revenue today um but that's a topic for a different day um the comments are coming in extremely fast right now i'm going to try to get to as many of these as possible um jennifer says what's neil's take on high street with wendell and those apartments in the floodplain Um, those are by right guys yeah
1: the again we don't take positions on projects but we can take a 30,000 foot view and suggest that they're um I'm familiar with many of the entities involved and these are not folks that just throw something up against the wall. There probably has been significant engineering expertise to design uh, a program that would work and meet the uh, requirements. Uh, I don't know any particulars and I don't know what's going to happen. Um, One of the challenges with being a landlocked city is those places that are easy to develop have been developed. What's left, is challenging places. Or perhaps you could put more development on existing lots.
0: There's not a doubt in my mind that Justin Schimp of Schimp Engineering has got his I's dotted and his T's crossed. Is there any doubt in your mind?
1: I I don't know the answer to that question. I am not an engineer and I don't um, judge how engineering work, but everyone that does one of those plans, folks don't, not many people realize they stamp it with their seal. That seal can be revoked. If there is something that proves to be inaccurate, significantly inaccurate, they can go to the board and have their seal revoked.
0: Neil Williamson, I'm absolute fire right now. All right, we're going to get to this comment that's come in on the show on uh, the law for Squire uh, haha. I, I, I will ask Neil about that. But before we get to that, um, Kelsey, I want to talk and finish the defense sector conversation. Anything we missing here? Anything that should be out in the uh, news cycle?
1: No, I, I think... The, the thing that hasn't been mentioned as much this time around and was the last time we talked about this topic is the um, the contractor tail. Um, there is a significant contractor tail associated with intelligence operations and defense operations. Um, those contractors do much of the work that is has uh, been charged to the intelligence operations, some of the human intelligence, some of the other data mining and things, and Anyone who's lived here for more than a couple of years probably has a couple of friends that work for one of these consultants or um, directly for the defense intelligence agencies. Um, It it can't be overstated the impact that these people and their families have. Have on the fabric of our community.
0: I love it. I love it. He's doing a hell of a job here. Guys, we're going to get to um, your comments, put them in the feed. I'll relay them live on air. Um, Neil Williamson at the Free Enterprise Forum, the president, is on the show right now. Morning, um, Dan Pettit and Sir Neil. Uh, Dan Pettit, we love you, my friend. Reed says anyone who gets into roofing right now will have no problem getting a job. Um, thank you, Reed, for that. Um, this is come into the mix. Was the St. Louis uh, carrot a bluff? I don't think it was a bluff.
1: I will say, as one who has lived through several rounds of what they call BRAC, which is Base Relocation and Closure Committee, um, I don't have firsthand knowledge that it's absolutely true, but I do know... That St. Louis is an attractive place for economic development. It's well located. It's well supported with fiber, and um, it is it has great infrastructure, and it's a great town. Um, I did a lot of work in Kansas City in my career. Uh, Kansas City, St. Louis. This is what some folks call flyover country. They have assets, uh, land being one of them. And if your concern is you're landlocked in a city, St. Louis or Kansas City starts looking real good.
0: Well, son. Well said. This has come in. Did Almar overpay for that land, Neil?
1: Boy, I wish the distinguished gentleman were here and he could give us a valuation because, or perhaps Mr. Fincham could do that.
0: Mr. Fincham could certainly do that. I'll tag him. Do you you want to sidestep that one?
1: Oh, I'm running away from it. Sidestep says I might say something.
0: I, I will, I'll say this. I've touched on this before. Yes, they overpaid, but it was the right move because we couldn't risk losing this. So sometimes you make decisions, like I'm remodeling a dentist office right now in the Macklin building. The project to remodel from a dentist office into six executive offices, the estimate was somewhere between twenty and $25,000. we are over budget. I'm pissed that we're over budget. But I have to get this done to get this ready to go so I can keep the ec- economic development that happens from this office in our business model. So that's a microcosm of what we're talking about here with Rivanna Station. Did they overpay? Yes. Did Wendell Wood get a great deal? Yes. But did the supervisors make a good decision? Yes.
1: So, with the dentist's office, you're drilling down on the details?
0: <laughs> I am drilling down on the details. I am removing the water. Dan Pennett says he agrees with what we're saying right now. Um, do you want to talk law firm and squire?
1: As a nonpartisan, I'm happy to. This isn't op- your district, right? Uh, the, I'm happy to opine. It is a, uh, a district I'm familiar with.
0: Right. Which district are you in? Uh, I'm one above. Okay. Okay. So, you're 56? Okay, so we're talking um, HD55 here. Things got nasty real quick, dude.
1: Um, It is amazing the power of social media. And um, it is, um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Because those of us that are, um, shall we say, addicted to social media, uh, or deep enthralled in social media, seems to think this is the microcosm. Yeah. And it's not.
0: Okay, so this is what Neil's saying. If you go on Twitter, it looks like Kellen Squire right now can walk on water, take a few loaves and a couple of fishes, and feed the thousands. But what he's saying is what's happening on Twitter is a silo. Is that what you're it, saying? It,
1: it, is, it is a cohort, a population cohort. The size of that cohort for Twitter is shrinking rapidly. Oh,
0: 100%. Um, 100%. So Especially it, as that group... And that group, how would you characterize that group? I'm choosing my words very carefully here. Um, very left, very progressive, many in the socialist sphere. That group is heading to other platforms because they're alienated by Elon Musk. So what he's saying is that group is losing a little bit of, uh, of momentum on a platform Twitter where they had tons of momentum before Musk purchased this company.
1: I, I would agree with that, but I would say that it is not limited to any particular sector Twitter is, losing, is, is hemorrhaging um, folks that pay any attention to it. Uh, I know prominent folks in this community that no longer utilize Twitter at all.
0: I mean, Sean. I mean, look at what Sean Tubbs. Sean Tubbs is, and I love Sean Tubbs, he's in the content creation business. That's another platform I read all the time. He legitimately, like a month and change ago, said, I'm done using this platform. And he's in the platform of disseminating content through social media. I mean, but he has a, a beef with Musk's ideologies and how he goes about his life, and so he wants out.
1: And his business map practices. It's yeah. not just ideologies, it's business practices, and I, I think that's something that I'm hearing from a number of people. I, on the other hand, one who will open the refrigerator to get the spotlight, um, continue to post things on Twitter.
0: Well, I mean, Twitter still has its purpose, and I think what's going to happen is as people leave, folks like you and I will gain more share. As people leave. I, think I don't know that
1: that's a good thing.
0: I, well, it depends on if you're in the social media business, uh, <laughs> which we are. Um, I'll throw this to you. Jason, I'll get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Do you think Lawfer, this strategy that Lawfer did with the mailer, is it going to cost her the race? I know you don't have a crystal ball here, but it's backfiring on her at least a little bit. She doubled down, she tripled down, she released statements, and then she had other mailers. I got the mailers. They were pretty nasty. Now, I've said this on previous shows. I thought Kellen Squire made a comms mistake. That blog post that he did was wordy, hard to understand. It was just, it was messy. And perhaps he should have deleted it or, as Judah said, highlighted the blog post and said, this is how my mindset has changed or improved since I've done the post. I don't know. What do you make of, uh, do you think Lawfare has a chance?
1: Anyone in the race has a chance and... Uh, I anticipate there is not significant um, space between the candidates on issues, so this may carry more weight than if there were significant issues um, that there were differences. I think
0: that's 100% well said. Jason says, what's the overlap, Neil, between the silo you were describing and actual registered voters who will show up for the primary? It's I, tough to say.
1: That's that's tough to say. That's I to say. would I would suggest that... If this was a year ago, I would suggest that the registered voters who would show up for a primary were overrepresented in the silo, uh, meaning that in the in its total population, there's X in the in the silo, there's Y. There's a larger portion of Y would be at the primary than a portion of X.
0: I was, completely agree with what you said. Was what Lawford did um, out of bounds?
1: Did the candidate quote the other candidate correctly?
0: Oh, so, so tough. So, so tough. The candidate cherry-picked a paragraph and blurred out the rest of the content that offered the context. So Lawfer put, took a paragraph, put it on a flyer, mailed it to people, and utilized it to, to label Callum Squire as um, pro-life and anti-abortion. Um, by blurring out the rest of the context from the blog post, it seemed a little bit slimy.
1: That's a subjective term, I think. If I, if I'm reading it right, yeah,
0: subjective. So, so yeah. did
1: the candidate quote the candidate, other candidate, correctly?
0: Yes, and that's to my point that Kellen Squire made a comms mistake; that he should have gotten ahead of this himself.
1: So, I again, as a nonpartisan, yeah. we don't have a, 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 and right now, I don't believe there's an announced. Uh, Republican challenger in the 50th. No,
0: so the 20th, June 20th, we know. June 20th, we know?
1: Perhaps. Yeah, Perhaps. well, you're right. Perhaps yeah. not.
0: Perhaps not. Uh, Lonnie Murray watching the program. As a Democrat, I was disappointed to see Lawford send a flyer that knowingly misrepresented Squire's position. It just makes her look bad. That's Lonnie Murray. I concur. I concur. It makes her look bad. Um, viewers and listeners, if you want to jump in on this perspective, please offer some thoughts. How about the races in general that are going on? Anyone that you want to highlight?
1: I, I'm. I will say that I am much more focused on the local races, and um, let's talk about those. Sure, I'm. I'm. I'm interested in. Um, I, I know that we had an announcement last week uh, of a. Independent candidate in the Rivanna district. You're
0: talking uh, Freebridge Auto, um, the family. TJ Faddele? Yeah.
1: I yeah. think it is. He, uh, uh, I guess I, I actually, I'm one for Stagecraft as a former ad guy. Um, the, uh, the fact that he chose not to be surrounded by 12 people on the county steps, but instead decided to stand in front of his business, um, says something about what he's trying to do to position himself differently than um, his opponent.
0: Yeah, he's trying to position himself as the small business mindset guy that's going to come into the county and run with financial fiscal responsibility and look to cut tax. That's what his platform is.
1: Well, and and again, we are a nonpartisan and we don't make endorsements, but we do love contested elections.
0: Yeah, so he goes against Lapisto Kurtley, who's seeking a second term. Um, he's I respect him. I respect what he's trying to do. He's got, uh, he's got uh, his work cut out for him.
1: Why he's do you fe- say that?
0: Well, Lapisto currently is the incumbent. Um, the value of the incumbent, we both know, is significant. Um, Almaro County is as blue as it gets. Maybe it's getting a little bit more purple than blue. Uh, TJ is clearly a staunch Republican. Running
1: as uh, an independent.
0: Running as an independent, but that's a strategy because the R has no chance. So you make it an I but we know he has our tendencies. I would say in a county like Albemarle that is blue, maybe, maybe a little more purple than it was 10 years ago, he's got his work cut out for him. You, you disagree? I,
1: I, I, I would suggest that Albemarle County and the Rivanna District, are, each one is absolutely as unique as the next.
0: Okay, which race do you think is gonna be the closest then, how's that?
1: I'm hopeful they all are energetic races. You are not getting me there, Jerry. It's a nice try. I
0: try I try If I had to think which one would be the closest, oh my goodness. Um, Malik's got the competition from the Crozet podcaster. I believe his first name is Brad. The last name starts with an R. Riker? Yeah, I think something like that. Malik is how many terms on the supervisor? Uh, this is running for a fourth term, I believe. Okay. Fourth or fifth? Fourth or fifth, yeah. Yeah. So Malik, I think, is a slam dunk here. Um, especially, and this is me talking, this isn't you. I'm not trying to put you in a tough spot here. Brad doesn't have a lot of name recognition. He's young, and Malik is the incumbent. The Rivanna District, I think, Lapisto currently is a slam dunk. We know in the Scottsville, Pruitt's running unopposed. That's three of the six that are up on the soups.
1: Well, there's I, only, yeah, the three.
0: Three are, three are, uh, are up. Yeah, because yeah. McKeel... And uh, and Galloway and uh, Andrews are in the middle of their terms. Correct. McKeel and Galloway did last run. Um, Andrew. Oh, and so and, did Andrews. Andrews, Andrews yeah. ran unopposed. McKeel ran unopposed. And Galloway ran unopposed. And,
1: and structurally, it's important to recognize this is a good thing. They take half of their board at a time and come forward. Loudoun County, for the last forty years, has elected their entire board at the same time. This creates tremendous swings in ideology. And I want to say it was 15 years ago. Um, They had their first board meeting after a Republican majority had come in, and they said, we're taking a two-hour lunch. The Republicans came back after one hour, and the Democrat was the vice chair and stripped the vice chair of all its responsibilities. When he got back from lunch, he had nothing to do.
0: (laughs) That actually happened. That happened. I know it did. Lonnie says, as a Democrat, I also support contested elections. Democrats are better when they have competition that keeps us all honest.
1: All candidates are better. All I can- agree, Lonnie.
0: We want all elections contested. McChesney, mudslinging has become the norm for political contest. This has been going on for ages. Sometimes the mud sticks to your opponent. Sometimes the proverbial fan blows it back on you. I think the difference with this particular circumstance, though, Bill, is, A, they're both Democrats um, that's different. I think another difference with this particular circumstance is this is this is might be this might be characterized as straight up lying. I mean, I think it's misrepresenting. Um, and this is me talking. This isn't Neil talking. But this is this is this might be lying from my books here. And I understand that's part of politics. But is it a part of local politics on this level? I guess we are at this point. Um, I promise I'll get to the newspaper talk because he's a newspaper junkie as well as I am. Um, I think the tightest race is going to be Dr. Meg Bryce and um, Allison Spillman and the general, the board of supervisors, or excuse me, the the school board. I think that general election and that it's all the districts – will also give us a pretty good feel on how Almoro is from a blue, red, or purple standpoint. Because if Bryce is able to... I still think Allison is the favorite, but I think Bryce could win this. If Bryce is able to keep this tight or narrow the gap or even potentially win, then I might be able to make the comment that Albemarle is more purple than I thought. If Spillman wins by a landslide, then we go back to saying that Albemarle is super blue. That's the race I'm watching most closely.
1: Well, I will say that when you have an at-large race whether it's a contested at-large race for a constitutional officer or a board of supervisors member or a school board member, if it energizes the voters, that gets out the vote, and then more voters are heard from, and they vote on the other races. So if you energize the voters, whether you're for one or the other, um, in my world, it's a positive. You, you really, this is not always a well-attended um, race. This is an off-off year. We do, well, it's an off year, I'm sorry. We
0: It's off-off. No governor, no president. But we have statewide. It's statewide, yeah. That's so true.
1: and, and the, an off-off, you don't have statewide. Because we're Virginia, and we hold elections every year because we love them so much, we do have off-off year elections that really have lousy turnout. But I, if you get the, um, if there is a contested race, that generates excitement on either side of the aisle uh, around candidates, and it it promotes the GOTV, get out the vote. In the end, more people become engaged in the process, and for better or worse, the community is more invested in local government.
0: I completely agree. One of the things that concerns me about that topic is the progress in its current business model. They recently announced that they're going three days with its print, they have said the three days of print are going to be robust, almost like the Sunday edition. I'm not necessarily buying that. I think we basically have a, a business model that's nearly going to go digital, and John, who's watching the program, made this comment earlier in the week, and I completely agree with Blair, that I think we're eventually going to see Lee Enterprises call the Richmond Times Dispatch the paper of record for the Commonwealth, and the daily progress will be folded into the RTD, and they'll have two or three reporters and one or two salespeople in Charlottesville for the Charlottesville Bureau or the Central Virginia Bureau of the Richmond Times Dispatch. Lee Enterprises, and I'm going to get your take on this, has trimmed the daily circulation of six papers in the commonwealth we had what bristol we had culpepper we had waynesboro we had charlesville there's two others that i can't i
1: thought there was a leesburg paper
0: there yeah. might be a leesburg but there's six that they've done this to what do you make of this storyline uh I,
1: it made I, me sad neil it it, it did is uh, I, I, one of the things that I, I i give my my mom a great deal of credit for um, regardless of how tight funds got we always got the paper every day there was something new to read and that spoke to you know one of five kids we we've always got something new to read and i've been taking the daily progress um since 1999 when i moved here and taking the print edition um it is important to me uh that being said i am an albatross most people are reading it online um i have gone to reading it online when i am out of town um it is a quick read. Years ago, I had to stop taking the Wall Street Journal because I couldn't read it.
0: Because it was so so many stories, so
1: many stories, so yeah. much great content, I couldn't read it, and I was paying a lot for it, and I had to had to drop it. Your thought of the Richmond Times Dispatch becoming the, the paper of record is something that I could certainly see
0: as being one of the outcomes. Um, What's the alternative outcome? No print for the Progress. It's strictly digital. And then the Charlottesville Bureau is still pumping out content every day on the Daily Progress website, and a couple of cherry pick stories go into the RTD uh, print product?
1: Or a partnership, perhaps, a media partnership with another media entity.
0: Walk me through that.
1: Well, uh,
0: you Like Charlottesville ha- Tomorrow Daily Progress?
1: Um, like Charlottesville Tomorrow Daily Progress, but think Daily Progress, CBS 19. Think- folks that are already collecting this stuff and producing written reports online today and could that be converted into a news story could they be the stringers could it be simply reports from that new media conglomerate I I think the media is changing you live in this space Um, the reality is the the weekly papers are changing big time um, i can't it, even
0: I hate to say this, but it's i won't say what i'm going to say well ahead. The,
1: yeah. the, the the weekly outlying county papers are changing. They are having trouble keeping one person on staff if you read some of what I call the OMG papers, which are also owned by Lee, Orange, Madison, and Green. I love that headline, yeah, OMG, OMG papers. papers. It
0: was the great reporter from Green's, no longer working there. No, Terry? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Terry is now an employee of Green County. Right. She's a grant writer, and you right. can read about that at the Free Enterprise Forum blog. She was great. Uh, she's a great person. Yeah. And, um, but I, I, I do believe that they've, in uh, Louisa, they've recently had change in management, and they're trying to make it work. It is a desperate business to make money in. And advertising revenue is going digital. Everybody's going digital. And so the papers need to go digital.
0: What do we call a newspaper if it doesn't print news? Old. Do we, what are we going to call these companies? They're going to be media conglomerates. So we just call them media companies now?
1: That's, I, I believe that's where we're headed.
0: Yeah, because calling it a newspaper is maybe not applicable anymore.
1: What was once the newspaper of record for Charlottesville is changing.
0: Yeah. And that, and it's a lot like development.
1: Change is hard, it means accepting something new. From something that you've gotten accustomed to, um, you used to work when they had tear sheets, and you oh, were yeah. watching the first edition come off the press. Yeah,
0: I remember my first one of my first few days there. They still had the guys cutting out the headlines with the X-Acto knives mm-hmm. under the big lights, and it was it was beautiful, dude. Oh, I, I fell I've, in love
1: with news. Tr- trust me, I'm one who actually worked on real blue lines. Yeah, and in the printing business, and it it, it is lost on folks. Let's. I also spliced tape. Yeah, long before your time, um, but you know. I, uh, there's a skill that's really marketable. I can splice audio tape. Um, but the idea that things have to change to move forward. And what may come about may tend to be something even better. But we have to let go of what we've always had
0: so so that's that's interesting you see maybe a partnership with the tv and the print coming together that's intriguing how does the uh how do the individual guys utilize this as an opportunity the individual well, guys. how do like the small businesses that are trying to fill the sean Tubbs of the world utilize this as an opportunity is there an opportunity there
1: there there absolutely is an opportunity um but i think that when they when When individual companies look at areas to cover, um, there was a book out 30 years ago called Blue Ocean Strategies. And the idea behind that was don't go where everybody's feeding. Go where the blue ocean is because there's food there. You just got to find it.
0: Bob Yarborough, the king of Redfields, watching this program. Bob, memory serves. Was it Alabama or Mississippi where you were working in the news business? He says nonprofit news outlets may be the future of local in depth reporting and journalism, and they are exclusively online. A nonprofit news outlet in Mississippi won a Pulitzer this year. He also said, I met my wife, Stacy, because she was a paste up girl at the paper. That's awesome. That is awesome. I love that, Bob, and I and guy, I
1: appreciate the information about the Pulitzer because I don't think I knew that
0: he, he, Mississippi is where he worked. Um, he is a newspaper guy through and through, and I know when he read this, too, it made him sad, because there's nothing that I enjoy more than having the residue of print on my fingers while I'm on the think tank reading about the locality that I love so dearly. And, and, and I'm always going to be a newspaper guy and a news junkie. This comment's come in, back in the day, the Times-Dispatch was the morning paper of Charlottesville City, and the Daily Progress was the afternoon edition. At that time, there was not a Sunday Progress.
1: Right, and uh, back in the day, um, this really dates me, back in the early 80s, um, I was living in California for a short period of time, and we'd get the morning paper, and the afternoon paper would come, and the afternoon paper would have the market close because of the timing, and it was printed locally, so you could get what the market did day of. This is before cable TV, kids. So it was critical. Oh, it was great. It was critical.
0: Yeah. My, my favorite was when I was a kid growing up reading the agate page, page two of sports with the box scores and the batting averages. My brother and I would fight over the agate page and we would literally just like eat our lucky charms while seeing like who's got the best batting average, who's got the most home runs. It was just, I still get excited when I see newspapers when I go into gas stations. Like I know that sounds corny and nerdy, but when I go into a 7-Eleven or a gas station, I one of the first things I do is look at the newsstands.
1: And and do you read local papers when you travel? Hell yeah. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I I actually I I was in California not uh, about eight years ago. I watched a public hearing of the Planning Commission in Santa Barbara, California. Because
0: you love news. You're just a junkie for I'm a
1: junkie and, and I was traveling alone and it was kind of a crappy trip. But it was one of those things that they were talking about how much you could expand your house. Based upon your parcel size. There it is. And, and, and,
0: and does that sound familiar to anyone? That sounds very familiar to us. God, I love this guy so much. We have so much in common. Um, 1122, I'll throw an open edit to you as we wind down the program. Anything we're not covering, anything that needs to be in the news cycle, what should we learn from you that we have not talked about?
1: Well, we, we have not talked about the fact that it's June 1st. Okay. June 2nd. And um, we're halfway through the year. Um. The Free Enterprise Forum exists because of our donors. We need to raise money. Go to freeenterpriseforum.wordpress.com. Click on the donate button. Give me a 100 bucks. There you go. I just got to get enough money to keep this thing going. And I'm not saying the lights are going out tomorrow. I don't do that kind of brinksmanship. But absent the public support, I can't keep doing the work.
0: Please help them. Support them. Donate. Free enterprise forum, guys. The website is fantastic. How often are you putting content out?
1: Next week, we will have 1,500 blog posts up. That's amazing. 3,000 people subscribe to the blog. That is enormous. I mean, I'm not, you know, I love Seville numbers, but, oh, um, but, but 3,000 people receive a blog. When I, when I post something, they receive notification that it's up. And it's not just that a lot of people, it's a lot of people who care, people that are elected, people that are appointed, people that care about this community. And we are unabashedly pro-business, and we are not a journalism outlook. We are talking about what it takes to keep the community moving forward so that our our retail can survive and thrive so that we can increase the jobs so that we can keep our kids and grandkids working here by economic vitality. And that's the reason people should support the Free Enterprise Forum.
0: God, I just got goosebumps right there. You got emotional when you were talking about that. Put that emotion in perspective.
1: I, You've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this now for over 20 years. And when I got started, I wasn't sure it was going to last 20 weeks. Um, somewhere along the line... Um, Blogs came about, and we jumped on the blog bandwagon. Um, I like to say, go back and read some of the stuff that I wrote 15 years ago. See if I'm intellectually congruent. I firmly believe that I am. I also am big. When I make a mistake, I don't just correct it. I correct it and leave it up. I put a line through it, and I say, correct it on this date, because I make mistakes, but I fix them.
0: Love this guy. Neil Williamson, president, Free Enterprise Forum. Support the Free Enterprise Forum. This show was absolute fire, guys. He is amazing. The I Love Seville show is up at 1230. We'll take a look at the Castle Hill 231 Fest, and we'll talk the topics that matter to you. Local news, always in the spotlight on this network. I want to thank Neil. I want to thank Judah. And Keith Smith is watching the the program now, literally in an island, and saying, Neil Williamson is the man. Literally, Keith is watching you right now. He's back next week. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody. You made that easy, dude. That was awesome. Tell us when the mics are off.